Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Endurance. I can't imagine what it's like for the people in Eastern Europe who are enduring hell on earth right now. I can't imagine what it must be like for that young mom to endure having to leave her son and drive a car that she's never driven before, that she's never even driven anything before, and to travel all those miles with an eight-year-old in fear. I can't imagine the endurance it's taken for a country to survive how many days now of shelling, no one gave them no one gave them the benefit of the doubt everybody thought by now it would be a ruined country but they've endured endurance endurance is what makes great people great oftentimes last week i wasn't with you guys on sunday because laura and i were traveling back from our appalachian trail hike and on that hike, I was reminded of what endurance is like, even just in a little snippet. This picture is from our second day on trail. It's atop Bluff Mountain. Bluff Mountain was the highest point of the trail that we were on that day. That morning, we woke up, and we knew that it was supposed to rain. So we got all of our stuff packed up into our backpacks, and we got our rain flies on our packs, and we got our rain gear on, covered from head to toe in rain gear, and we start off the hike uphill, and it was about two miles straight uphill for the first two miles. And then we got to the top of the first peak that we got to that day, and it's called Walnut. And when we were atop of Walnut, there's a shelter there, and we went straight to the shelter because as we were approaching the shelter, the bottom fell out. It had been raining all morning, but when we got to the shelter, the bottom just fell out. It was pouring down rain. Now, if you've ever been in the Appalachian Mountains or the Smoky Mountains, when there's a rain, you know that clouds form and these big, thick masses of shroud or clouds shroud the mountains all around. It's something spectacular. It's where they get the name Smoky Mountain. It looks like they're on fire. There's smoke everywhere. This second picture here that I was going to, the first picture I didn't, didn't go through, but this picture here is a top bluff mountain in a cloud in the rain if you look at the picture you'll notice a couple of things first off it is lush and beautiful and there was green everywhere as spring is just now breaking forth on the top of bluff mountain what you can't pick up from this picture and no picture would do it justice is the absolute beauty of the scene the stillness the quiet the beauty there's green everywhere, and popping out of some of that green that you can't tell by the picture are flowers, and there are flowers I've never seen before. In fact, as we were on our way, one of the ladies that we were talking to in town before we got to this point said that if you get to Bluff Mountain, you can enjoy the time up there, just stop, because it's its own ecosystem. There are things up there that aren't anywhere else. It is absolutely gorgeous. And we get there, and they say that there are views all the way around. It's one of the prettiest points of this section of the Appalachian Trail. 
And this is what we saw. Second thing you'll notice is the white blaze up there uh, on the tree. That means you're on the Appalachian Trail. It's the white blaze. The Appalachian Trail runs 2,200 miles from Georgia to Maine. We were just doing a section of it. We only did 21 miles. But every other person we met on the trail was a thru-hiker. A thru-hiker is someone who starts in Georgia and goes to Maine or starts in Maine and goes to Georgia. Most people are northbound. And so we came across 20-some-odd people, all of them northbound hikers, had been on trail from Georgia to this point in North Carolina, some 200-and-something miles already, and they'd covered that ground over about three weeks. They were in their third or fourth week when we came across them. Endurance. There's one point as you're entering or as you're leaving, I don't know if it's actually in Georgia or North Carolina yet, but there's one point where the trail goes through an outfitter store. And in this outfitter store, they will take your pack and open it up and unpack it and say, you don't need this, you don't need this, you don't need this, and if you're going to make it all the way, you certainly don't need this. This is what you need, go. Most People, though, if they've made it to this store at the top of this mountain uh, and they've had a heavy pack, they don't make it much further. Let's see, for the endurance, you have to pack smartly and light. The through hikers, one extra shirt. The through hikers, carried maybe two or three days worth of food, and it was very small. It was ramen noodle packets. The thru-hikers, because their journey was long and it was going to take a lot of endurance, had to pack extremely smartly, unlike Laura and I, who could actually take a chair to sit in because we were only going 21 miles. The other thing that you'll notice in this picture is that there's a distance between Laura and I. I don't know. Can y'all see Laura? Yeah, that's Laura. The reason why there's a distance between Laura and I, at this point, she has hiking poles with a carbon tip that are sharp. And I'm afraid if I get any closer, she will impel me. She was not happy at this moment. We were hiking in rain, eight miles in rain, about half of those uphill. In this particular day, we gained over 2,000 feet of elevation, eight miles in the rain. And by the way, the trail, as you're going down, becomes a river because that's where the water funnels to. Wet shoes sopping through, everything's wet to the bone. And did I mention it was 40 degrees when it was raining here? endurance. Now here's the thing about being in this spot with rain and a 40 pound, mine was about a 45 pound pack, Laura was, was about 28 pound pack. There's only one way down. You can't just sit there. If you stop, you're dead. If you stop, eventually you're going to run out of food. If you stop, you're going to get cold because you, you can't stop and make something warm or warm yourself up. If you stop, if you stop, you're in trouble. 
you're never going to get where you want to be and you're never going to get to shelter and you're never going to be able to get out of wet clothes. So there's only one thing to do and it's just to endure, to just keep going. As Dory says, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. You just got to keep moving forward. Endurance. Today, we're just going to look at three verses that has everything to do with endurance, but it's not endurance of a mountain, and it's not even the endurance of a war. It's the endurance of faith in the middle of persecution. We're going to look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, and just very briefly, let me tell you, Hebrews is written to a group of Christians who have a Jewish background and understand the Old Testament thoroughly. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing is taking that knowledge from the Old Testament, taking the knowledge that this group of people have about Jesus and what he did, and he's applying it to their situation. So what is their situation? The, Hebrews, the Hebrew, the people that Hebrews were, was written to, they were in the middle of vast persecution, dangerous persecution, Things that we don't even dream about. Things that they're experiencing in the Ukraine right now. Persecution that we can't even imagine. And so the author of Hebrews steps into this situation and he's trying to encourage them not to lose faith and not to lose sight because apparently some people in their gathering, because of fear and because of the influence of the world, have walked away from faith. They no longer endured. They said, you know what? This is too hard. I'm taking my pack off. I'm setting it down. I'm throwing down my hiking poles. Forget this. And they said, I'm done. And the author of Hebrews is saying, hold up, guys, listen to me. Just endure. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, or you can follow on the screen, or if you've got a phone, pull it out, and you can follow on a smart device. Now, when we get to Hebrews 12, 1, the author has gone through this example of all of these people in the Old Testament who have stood by faithfully and have followed God despite their circumstances. And he's just enumerated all these, and so then he gets to this point, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's go back to verse 1. So he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, when I was a kid, I used to envision this, or when I was taught this in Sunday school, I thought about people cheering me on, like I'm in a race, an endurance race, and there's people cheering me on. They say one of the greatest things about the Boston Marathon is not, it's not the experience of running the race, but the experience of the people who cheer you on all along the way. And it's motivating, and it's powerful. And so when I thought about this passage, I always thought about a greater cloud of witnesses looking at my life going, yeah, man, you're doing great. Keep following God. Yeah, you got this thing. It's not what this means. It doesn't say that this great cloud of witnesses is watching us and, and making sure we, we do okay. This great cloud of witnesses is a reminder to us. 
We're not their audience. They're our audience. I'm, I'm sorry. They're not looking at us as if they're the audience. We're their audience looking in on their lives, getting encouragement from them. So when he says, consider this great cloud of witnesses, what he's saying is, look at all of these lives who have done what I'm encouraging you to do. So when you grow faint, remember someone's already run this race. If you think you can't do it, remember that there are people that already have. If you think you can't make it, remember these people have done it and you can too. All of these people, all of these witnesses, all of them had bad circumstances. All of them had miserable situations. All of them ran into sin. All of them ran into the enemy. All of them ran into situations that they had no control over, and yet they endured. So when you are in the middle of it, when you're on the top of Bluff Mountain and it's pouring down rain, remember, just keep going forward. Because someone else already has. And if they did it, you can too. That's what he means by this great cloud of witness. So for us, here's what it means. When you start to feel like, man, this is too much. When you feel like you can't handle it anymore. When you think, man, I'm just going to give up and throw in the towel. Stop. Remember. Remember the great stories of faith where people said, you know what? I'm pressing forward. I don't care what my circumstances are. I'm not going to let my current circumstances defeat me. I'm going to keep pressing onward. Remember Moses did it. Remember Abraham did it. Remember Jesus himself did it. Remember all of these people who at any time could have tossed in the towel and said, I'm done, it's over. But they didn't. Then he goes on and he says, also, not only do you need to remember those other people that have done it, but you need to take off every weight and sin which clings so closely. <laughs> Excuse me. This weight and sin that he talks about here is this idea of things that hold us back and prevent us from being all that we could be. I shared with you that there's a spot on the trail where they take out all the excess stuff out of your pack. They say, you really don't need this, and you don't need this. And if you're going to make it to Maine, if you're going to go the next, whatever it is at that point, 2,000 miles, then you're going to have to shed some of that stuff. On the second day as we were hiking in the miserable stuff, when we stopped for lunch, I started taking stuff out of Laura's pack and putting it in mine. I tried to lighten her load because I realized that mm, her pack was a little too heavy and it's slippery and it's nasty and I don't want to have to trudge through all of this. She had to take off some of the stuff that was holding her back. Guys, there's stuff like that in our lives, right? If we're going to endure and be everything that God wants us to be, there are things we have to edit out of our life. One of the hardest things you have to do is edit. Sometimes you have to edit relationships. This person's not good for me. See ya. Sometimes you have to edit influence. I'm starting to believe what everybody else says is true, even though Scripture says it's not true. You need to edit that. 
I need to edit this way that I waste time. I need to edit this way that I waste money. I need to edit all of this stuff out of my life that's hindering me from staying focused and be all that I can be. What is it that's holding me back? I've got to edit it out. I've got to remove it. I've got to chop it off. I've got to do whatever you want to say you want to do with it. But if you're going to persevere and endure, you have to take off the stuff that's holding you back. Then he goes on, and he says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I think this is interesting because the word for run here is the same word that we get trek from. Trekho. And it's a present active subjunctive verb in this occurrence, which means that it carries with it ongoing intentionality. So if we were to translate that in English to pull in that intentionality, it would say, and let us continually decide to run. Let us continually practice to run. Let us continually and intentionally run. There's intentionality there. Guys, we don't, we don't live into our faith without intentionality. We don't complete the race that God set before us without intentionality. And it's not just a one-time thing like, yeah, I'm good with God. I did that way back at camp when I was a little kid. Yay, everything's great. Everything is awesome. But it's not like that. It's ongoing intentionality. So he says, remember, people have already done it. There's a great cloud of witness. Remember, there are things you need to put out of your life and edit. And remember that you have to be intentional about pursuing and running with me. And this word endurance, hypomonia. I like what one definition says. It's the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Does that not sound like Eastern Europe right now? Joe, doesn't that sound like what you guys are going through and what the people are going through? It's the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. It's saying, my circumstances might be awful, but I'm going to keep on. Until I breathe my last breath, I'm going to fight with everything I have. I'm going to trudge on. Another definition by another scholar says, it's a courageous endurance Endurance which defies evil and the evil around us. It's endurance that says, I'm not going to let evil distract me, and I'm not going to let evil get me off course. I'm not going to lay down and, and die here. I'm not going to let it overcome me. I'm going to keep pressing on and endure. And then he gives the example of the cross. Because really, is there not any greater example that Jesus, who is the founder of our faith, the one who shows us what it looks like to be perfect in faith, he endured the cross. He intentionally ran towards the cross because it was the will of the Father. He intentionally, and he chose to endure the shame and the pain and the heartache because he knew there was something greater on the other side. 
And so our ultimate example of what faith looks like is Jesus. And not just Jesus in the happy days. Not just Jesus, Jesus when he's chilling with the disciples. Jesus when he's dying on a cross. That's our example. That's what endurance looks like. That's saying, I'm bearing up under circumstances. I'm editing everything out of my life that I don't need and everything out of my life that distracts me from God and everything out of my life that tells me something is right when it's really wrong. I'm editing it all. And Jesus is my example of that. And then he finishes in verse 3 and says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So, when you feel overwhelmed, think about what Jesus went through. When you feel like you can't take another step, think about Jesus and how he carried that cross. When you think life is so hard for you that you just don't think you can make it, remember that there's a God who stepped out of perfection and became human and lived through hell on earth for us. Not only to save us, but then to give us an example and empower us to do the same, to say, you can do it too. Now guys, remember, the author of Hebrews is writing this to people who are literally dying for their faith. People who are literally being punished for what they believe and who they pursue. He's encouraging Christians in a situation that none of us in this room have had to live through. So when life gets hard for you, think about how hard it was for them. And if they endured, and if they pressed on, so can you. And the point of all of this, right, is that even though Jesus suffered and died, in the end, he rose again. And it's the same for us. Even if life beats us and bruises us and kills us, as we're pursuing Christ, the promise is in the end there's new life and resurrection. And no one and nothing and no circumstance on earth can take that away from us. And so if that's the case, if that's the ultimate reality, then pursuing anything else is vapor. It's like the shroud of clouds at the top of Bluff Mountain. And in a few hours, they're going to push through or blow away or just disappear in the sun. Let's go back to that picture, if you don't mind. Laura wasn't real happy with me here. As I said, I'm at a distance because I'm afraid she might stick that through my eye. But she didn't complain. She did not complain. She just kept going. And she kept going. Because the only way off Bluff Mountain is forward and down. And as tough as this day was, our second day on the trail, it was well worth it. Don't ask her, but it was well worth it for the views, the expanse, the experience. To be in this moment, it was like it was it was it was otherworldly. There was a peace and a calm and 
I'm telling you, it was, it was spiritual, being on top of this mountain, feeling God's presence and seeing the beauty of his creation as the clouds nestled in around us and the rain came down and we just walked with everything we needed on our backs. But we just kept pressing forward. I have a friend who, when he saw this picture, said, yep, that's where I was when it happened. Bluff Mountain. A snowstorm. Unexpected. Blew up. What I didn't tell you is, at Bluff Mountain, you're 11, way, 11 miles away from the town. You're about another five miles away from the next shelter. So six miles, five and a half, six miles to shelter, 11 miles to town. I have a friend who was stuck on this mountain in a snowstorm, and he and his brother-in-law and a couple of other people were up on top of this mountain, and a few of you guys know who this is, and he was stuck up there with the improper clothing, didn't have the right gloves, didn't have the right headgear, didn't have the right boots or pants, and they were miserable, and it was dumping snow, and I'm not talking about a little snow. By the time they got off the mountain, it was up around their shins. It was coming down that furious and that fast, and it was a whiteout. They could barely see where they were going. And he said there came a moment on the top of Bluff Mountain where we knew we were 11 miles away from the town. We had to make a decision. We can try to survive the night. But there's no telling what's going to happen. Or we can just keep moving towards the town. We can't feel our feet. We can't feel our hands. But to stop is to die at this point. Because to stop there was no wood to create a fire. And that little camp stove that you can whisper light. You've only got so much fuel in it. It's not going to warm you very long. There was only one way for them. And it was through 11 miles of knee deep snow. And they just kept going. Guys, some of you are on Bluff Mountain right now in your life. And it's not just a rainstorm, it's a snowstorm. And you're up to your knees. But if you quit now, you've given up. Just keep moving. Others of you in this room are on a spiritual Bluff Mountain. And there's distractions, and there's things that have impeded you, and you've gotten off course, and you're lost, and you've been messing around, and you haven't really been sold into finishing this race that God has before you. To be stuck on Bluff Mountain is to die. And spiritually, it's time to get back on trail. Just keep walking. Seth, last picture. This is Laura smiling. <laughs> She's smiling because we're at the end of the trail, at least our end of the trail. Mile 21, town of Hot Springs, North Carolina. She's smiling because we've accomplished it. On top of the mountain, in the middle of the storm, she wasn't real smiley. But when we got through... I don't think this is saying it over, I don't think I'm overselling this, but not only was she happy, but she knew she had accomplished something. One of the things she said to me is, we did it. 
We did it. We said we were going to do it, and we did it. Guys, I don't know where your trail ends, but if you're on the wrong path, it's not going to end with Jesus. And he's waiting on you, beckoning, just keep walking towards me. And at the end of his trail, there are smiles. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.